Well, good morning, church family. We are in a series of messages called The Road to Recovery. The Road to Recovery. And uh, it's in conjunction with a new ministry that uh, was launched earlier this year called Celebrate Recovery. And it's a ministry, uh, a Christ-focused, gospel-centered ministry uh, to, to encourage us to mature through our hurts and our habits, and our hang-ups. And we have been talking about uh, the Beatitudes and have been going through the Beatitudes. And we're going to look at another Beatitude this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. But before I read Matthew 5, 8, I want to tell you a little bit about Frank Warren. Frank Warren every week receives postcards uh, on which are written anonymous confessions. Anonymous confessions. Uh, Combined with creative art, these postcards discuss issues that people have never told others. Uh, Some of those issues involve abuses, both past and present. Uh, There are body image issues, Uh, and other surprisingly vulnerable confessions. And Warren has posted these on a website. Uh, Some of these are light. Some of these are very heavy. Uh, Some are uh, very inappropriate. And here are some appropriate ones. For instance, um, one postcard says... And there's artwork to go with it, so it's kind of combining art and confession. I'm about to graduate with my master's degree, and I am feeling thrilled, horrified, nauseated, unprepared, childish, overwhelmed, grown-up, exhausted, poor, and then checks all of the above and like it is exactly where I'm supposed to be. That's a light one. Here's a heavier one. You know that painting I gave you for Mother's Day? I didn't paint it. Here's a heavier one. Person stopped smoking. I quit for my cats, not you. Here's a heavier one. I found out about my grandmother's funeral online and three months late. A heavier one. Having the affair was easy. It's the secret that's killing me. And then there's this one. After I called off our wedding because of your affair, my granny bought my engagement ring from me so I could have furniture. Thank you, granny. And then there's this one. I made up stories for the preacher to tell at my mother's funeral so that she would seem more likable. Wow. These confessions, confessions, um, you know, artistically given on these postcards. And Frank Warren talks about how 
uh, cathartic the experience is of, of you know, being artistic with the postcard and then putting the message on the postcard and then finally dropping the card in the mailbox. That, that, that feeling of release and freedom. And Warren says, sometimes we believe we are keeping a secret but it can be just as true that the secret is keeping us. And I think about that quote he just gave, and my question is, keeping us from what? Keeping us from what? And I believe that Jesus answers that very question in the beatitude that I want us to look at today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. That's up on the screen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's just read that out loud together on three. One, two, three. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus says that the means by which we see God has nothing to do with the optic nerve or retina or cornea has nothing to do with our eyes. It has everything to do. Seeing has to do with the condition of our hearts, pure hearts, clean hearts. Jesus says that it takes a pure heart to see a powerful God. Jesus says that it takes a clean heart to come face to face with a holy, holy God. And so I want to talk about that this morning. And I just want to answer some questions like, well, What does Jesus mean when he says pure in heart? What's he talking about there? And then, you know, how how do we get a pure heart? How do we come by a pure heart? And, and, And what does that have to do with Frank Warren and confession? Because they all come together. Before we leave today, you will see how they all come together. But let's go on a journey to find that out. What's Jesus mean when he talks about a pure heart? How do you get a pure heart? And what's that have to do with confession? Let's, let's take that first question. Pure heart. What, what, is a, what is a pure heart? Well, Jesus, let's just talk about heart first. Jesus says that the most powerful operating system in your life and in my life is your heart. It's your heart. Now, Bible teachers alike agree that when Jesus quotes, when Jesus gives us Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, he's, he's certainly referring to Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? See, that's, that's the temple. Jerusalem's city set on a hill. Well, who may ascend that hill? Who may stand in his holy place? The holy place temple? And the answer is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. There it is. Clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Psalm 24, 3 and 4. When Jesus speaks of the heart, he's not talking about the muscle that gets checked by your primary care physician at your physical. Jesus uses the word heart. He says you. He's talking about you. The real you. The true you. 
When Jesus uses the word heart, he's, he's using the, the most comprehensive word that determines the trajectory, the, the direction of your life. Because the, the heart has to do with where your life is directed behaviorally, emotionally, cognitively. Your heart is the seat of your deepest emotions. Your heart is where you fantasize and imagine. Your heart is where you dream dreams and exercise your will, your choices. Your heart decides what you're going to do with your free time. Your heart decides how you're going to spend your money. Your heart decides how you choose what you want to do tonight. Where you want to eat, what you want to eat, where you'd like to move, the kind of person you'd like to marry if you want to get married. Your heart decides whether to tell the truth or not. Your heart decides what time you want to get up in the morning or, or if, you, if, you, if you, when you got up this morning, if you want to come to church or not. Your heart makes the call on these things. Your heart decides how you're going to respond in crisis mode, in an emergency. Your heart is where you meet God and your heart is where you avoid God. Your heart. Your heart is your OS, your operating system. It's, it's the vista, the linux of your life. And because it functions as such, it is absolutely critical that your operating system, your OS, be uncorrupted. Because if it is corrupted, then it doesn't really matter how intelligent you are, does it? It doesn't matter what, you're, you know, what you get on your ACT or your GRE. It doesn't matter how physically fit you are, how wealthy you are, how educated you are, how intelligent you are. You can have a beautiful mind embedded with a corrupt operating system and it will absolutely ruin your life. Your heart. And speaking of the heart, Jesus um, has a pretty sobering analysis of the human heart. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. He says, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. So you see that connection between your mouth and your heart? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, your heart. Jesus says it is corrupt. And thus blessed are the pure in heart. Pure in heart. If your heart is your operating system, what's he mean when he says blessed are the pure in heart? Now, if we're not careful, now this is where I can lose you in this message here, so eyes up. Please. <laughs> If we're not careful, the words pure in heart will almost automatically default to keeping religious sounding rules or attaining a certain level of moral perfection. And if we, if we go that route, then we'll end up saying things like, you know, if I want to see God, I've got to have a pure heart. And the way to have a pure heart is to be a better rule keeper, to maintain a list of religious sounding rules and regulations, to get out my checklist and, and start checking off my religious tasks and when I get those chores done, and then I'll be morally skilled. And, and you, see, you see how... See how that way of thinking can, can really derail us because church family, listen, Christianity is not about making you a faster caterpillar. Okay? That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about transformation. Christianity is about because of our amazing, almighty, wonderful grace-filled, truth-filled God. He's transformed us not into faster caterpillars, but butterflies. 
That's, that's the good news of Christianity. Now, how many people do you know, they, they come to a place like this thinking, well, you know, if I just kind of get my act together, then I will be able to be a faster caterpillar. Ooh. And what I want to tell you is that that notion could not be further from the truth that Jesus is trying to make because he talks about the pure in heart. He's talking about what's happening from the inside out, not the outside in. What is purity of heart then? Purity of heart. Uh, There was a pastor uh, by the name of Soren Kierkegaard who once wrote a book, and the title of that book defines what purity of heart is. The title of the book is this. Here it is. Purity of heart is to will one thing. That's purity of heart. To will one thing. To will, to desire one thing, to long for one thing, to crave for one thing, to passionately pursue one thing. And it can't just be any old thing. It is to have a heart that is undivided, a heart that is unmixed, undiluted, a heart that is 100 proof, a heart that passionately pursues God. You see, the word pure here The New Testament comes to us by way of the Greek language. And in the original Greek language, that word pure is our English word cathartic. Catharsis. Purging the gunk and the junk from my heart so that it's uncontaminated, so that it's whole, so that it's focused, so that it's clean. A heart that is all in. That's what the word pure means. All in. All in. My heart is all in. Blessed are those whose hearts are all in. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me, the Lord says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with an all-in heart, with all your heart. People with pure hearts are all in. They want one thing, period. People with pure hearts do not let their hearts get carved up into a thousand different pieces. People with pure hearts are riveted on one thing. People with pure hearts will say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, verses which I believe are an excellent commentary on Matthew chapter 5-8. If you want to look at another passage of of the Bible that explains this passage, Philippians 3, 13 and 14, explain Matthew 5-8. Paul says, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus, you see. A pure heart. And people with pure hearts will pray prayers like, God, I want you to become greater and I want to become lesser. God, I don't want what I want because I don't trust myself. Because my heart is exactly how Jesus describes the human heart. So God, I want what you want. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. See, When Jesus was in Gethsemane, he prayed the prayer of a pure heart. God, not my will, but yours be done. Purity of heart. And people with pure hearts are not afraid to ask themselves, Potentially awkward questions like, where does my heart focus when my mind slips into neutral? What do I fantasize about? 
What do, what, you know, what do I daydream about? What do I want more than anything else? What's my level of toleration for deception, for evil? To what degree are my thoughts and words and activities a reflection of what's really going on in my heart? And to what, de- to what degree do I attempt to cover up what's going on in my heart? See? Someone with a pure heart is willing to strip away the veneer and the varnish of covering up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a Lutheran pastor in World War II. He was martyred. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he, he wrote, Who is the pure in heart? Only those who have surrendered their hearts completely to Jesus so that he may reign in them alone. Then he said this, Only those who, whose hearts are undefiled by their own evil and by their own virtue. Isn't that interesting? A heart that's undefiled by their own evil and by their own virtue. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Where's your heart today? Where's your heart today? On a scale of 1 to 10. Let's do a little self-analysis here, a little self-audit. Where's your heart today? One being... Man, my heart is absolutely corrupted. Ten being, I really feel like my heart is singly focused on God. I mean, where is it? Where is it today? Are you at one? Are you at three? Are you at six, eight? Where where are you? In terms of being divided or having a unified, single-focused heart, where would you say your heart is? Scale of one to ten, you know? Uh, one, my heart is, feels like it's been under Ronco's slice and dice it. You know what, is that it? Is that where you are today? Where is it? Or 10, no, I just, God is so good. I, I feel like Philippians 3, this one thing I do. Awesome. Where is it? You know, if you are at 10, if you are there, you know what's coming next. In this message, you know, you know what I'm going to say already. You know, a pure heart, your heart's your operating system, and a pure heart is a single focused operating system locked on the God of this universe, passionately pursuing Christ. Okay, you know how that happens. You know, and you you know how a pure heart gets pure, and you know how a pure heart stays pure. And that's question number two, isn't it? How do I? get a pure heart? How do I keep a clean heart, a unified heart? And in a word, it's the word confession. Isn't it? Confession. Confession is what purifies the heart. Confession has to do with cleaning up the past, letting go of guilt, gaining a clear conscience and learning to live guilt-free the way God wants us to live. And that's why John Baker in his book, Life's healing choices, when he talks about confession, he defines confession as this, to openly examine and confess my faults to God, to myself, and to someone I trust. To openly examine and confess my faults to God, to myself, and to someone 
I trust. I think this is what's behind Psalm 32, verses 3 and 5. The psalmist wrote, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. But then, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. You. Someone once said that whenever you swallow guilt, your stomach keeps score. And if you don't take your guilt to God, what's going to happen is you're going to take it out on other people. Because you see, guilt is what keeps us stuck in the past, isn't it? Think about what we do when we get in our cars. Get in the car, put the seatbelt on, close the door, door's locked, then what? You adjust that rear view mirror, right? You adjust that rear view mirror. Driving down the road, glancing a little bit at the rear view mirror, but you've got to keep your eyes on them. But you see, guilt is, you know what? Guilt is a windshield-sized rear view mirror. And guilt is what keeps us from moving forward and growing. Because the truth of the matter is, there's no one here that's faultless. There's no one here who's perfect. If you're here looking for churches and you think you're perfect, this is the wrong church. (laughs) And don't join. (laughs) I love you. Don't join. (laughs) If you think you're perfect. Okay? Because we don't want to ruin you. (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, not the perfect in heart. No one's perfect. All of us have done things that we wish we could do over. All of us have done things that we wish we could turn the clock back on. But you know, and I know, we can't. And so, you know... So we feel bad about it, guilty about it, and we carry it with us. And quite frankly, some people like their guilt. They enjoy belonging to the stuck club. Because there's something cozy about being stuck, right? It's like this old pair of jeans. You don't throw them away even though they're messy and worn and stained. And it gives you a great excuse from growing. But confession is what helps us let go of the guilt from the past. Because confession, confession in the language of the New Testament, in the first century language in Greek, the word confess literally means to say the same thing. As what? As God. It means to agree with God. To say the same thing that God is saying about you. It means, it means to say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. That's what it means to confess. And, and that's hard. That's why Jesus says earlier, you, you know, if you're to get to the point where you're going to come clean about your heart, you've got to be poor in spirit. You've got to be impoverished. You've got to be, you've got to be willing to mourn, be broken. Are you? Are you willing to say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. 
and, and, to, and to really talk about what you're wrong about. See, not just to, not just to kind of, you know, not just to gloss it over by simply saying, well, you know, God, just, um, you know, forgive me all my sins and then moving on. No, no, no. No, no, no. That's like the, that's like the college student who's, you know, had all the dirty clothes put in the duffel bag and then just decided to put the whole duffel bag in the washing machine. And all you hear after that is, thump, 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 you know. And a friend says, it, your clothes will get cleaner if you take them out individually and put them in. See? And that's what we need to do. And, you know, out in uh, the foyer, um, you've all have picked up kind of the running script of today's message and all that, and that's good. But I think the real take-home paper is going to be at the table to the right as you're leaving here. It's... Um, sheet of paper that's titled Celebrate Recovery Inventory. It's what uh, we talked about just last Friday night at Celebrate Recovery. And there's a verse, Lamentations 3.40, it says, Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. And this is the hard work. This is the hard work. Because this, this pushes us Toward five questions, and here they are. All right. Who is the object of my resentment or fear? Write it down. Write it down. Not just in your brain, but write it down on paper. Number two, what specific action did that person take that hurt me? Write it down. Write it down. The effect. What effect did that action have on my life? What, uh, question four, what damage did that action do to my social instincts, my security instincts, my sexual instincts, my, my emotional instincts? And then question five, and this is a hard one. What part of the resentment am I responsible for? What am I going to own in this? Huh? And write it down. And you say, well, you know, but I was uh, sexually abused as a, as a child, and you, you know, you would put not guilty, and you would because I was sexually abused as a seven-year-old or a child. See? But we get it down on paper so that we can look at it and deal with it. And and uh, Jim Collins is a business writer, but I mean, he talks about this very thing. Interestingly enough, in his book. Good to great. It's not a spiritual book. It's a book about how companies become good to great. But this is what he says. He talks about this. I've used this phrase before. It comes from his book. It comes from him. He talks about confronting the brutal facts of my current reality. Confronting the brutal facts of my current reality. He talks about giving an honest and diligent effort to determine the truth of our situation. He talks about conducting a, an autopsy without blame. An autopsy without blame. You know, we're going to go over this. We're going to look at it. We're going to learn from it. And then we're going to move on. We're going to move on. We're not going to waste the hurt. We're going to get educated by it. See, And that comes through confession. 
And it's hard and it's humbling. At the end of the day, it is refusing to resist the truth of how God sees me, about how God sees the situation. And really what Jesus is saying here is that, is that when, I, when I get to the point where I can agree to see myself and this world the way God sees myself in this world, then I can see God. Because, see, some of you can't see God right now, but I can guarantee you, He sees you. And He sees us as extremely sinful, and He sees us as extremely loved. That's how He sees us. And when I stop resisting, then God removes the junk. When we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Out on the table, I've told you a little bit about a book, You Can Change, it's written by Tim Chester. Chester wrote, he said, You will cleanse no sin from your life that you have not first recognized as being pardoned through the cross. If you want a hurt or a habit or a hang-up cleansed, It's got to go to the cross first. It's got to get pardoned by Christ. Have you taken it there? Who's pure in heart, Bonhoeffer asked? Only those whose hearts are undefiled by their own evil. So so we need to repent of our unrighteousness, of our corrupted hearts. But listen to what Bonhoeffer also said. Remember, I told you I was going to talk about this. Only those whose hearts are undefiled by their own evil and by their own virtue. So, so in other words, he's making the point that I need not only to repent of my unrighteousness, but I need to repent of my righteousness. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 3, again, verses 8 and 9. He says, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And here it is. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So I need to repent of that kind of righteousness. But that which is through faith in Christ. See, see, see some of us are looking at the rearview mirror. Some of us are looking into the rearview mirror and we're just seeing the guilt of the past. And that's dangerous. But what else can we see when we look in the mirror? What else do you see when you look in the mirror? Ourselves. Yeah. Am I the only one who looks at myself in the rearview mirror? Oh, how... Well, you look pretty today. You really... What a handsome man. Wow. Praise God. You know, what is that? You know what? That's arrogance. Right? That's, that's my satisfaction with my righteousness. And, and I'm telling you, you keep your eyes in the mirror, you're going to have an accident. You're going to hurt yourself, and you're going to hurt others. Get your eyes off that. Yeah, it's there, but I mean, we can learn from that, but we've got to move on. And people with pure hearts don't let themselves get sliced and diced by their past or by a set of moral rituals. They take them both and give them to Christ in confession. And, and notice, we're talking about Confessing to God, to myself. And then Baker talks about 
to someone I trust. To someone I trust. Confessing to someone I trust. That does not mean I go to the National Enquirer. Okay? And it doesn't mean that I just go to someone who's just going to let me off the hook. See? Or merely someone who will just sympathize with me. But someone who loves me, someone who will hold me accountable, someone who will challenge me, someone who will say to me, you know, Randy, I understand that this is going to happen. I, Randy, I understand that sin happens, but it doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen. And, and see, that's, that's the limitation of Frank Warren's website, because there's no accountability. You send in the card and, you know, nobody's going to be there to challenge you. You have someone? You have someone in your life who can look at you across the table and get in your face. Hmm? See? I'll tell you two people in my life who do that. Uh, the first person is uh, Ken Boatwright to the left. Uh, Ken and Patty. Uh, uh, I've, I've known them since 1982 from my youth ministry days in Ohio. And uh, they took me in. And and he can ask me any question. And look me across the table. He knows when I'm blinking. He knows my heart. He challenges me. He challenges me. He asks me the hard questions. And I thank God that uh, he's in my life. And then just uh, uh, three days ago, I had a chance to uh, um, visit another uh, teacher, mentor, older brother um, to me. And this is, uh, uh, this was taken Friday morning. Uh, This is Masud Saidullah. I went to an Episcopal high school in Tulsa. And Masud was the chaplain at the high school my senior year, which is 1979-1980. He's known me longer than Ken and Patty have. And uh, he lives and pastors in uh, New York City. And he had a conference in Chicago. And so I found out about it and made arrangements to go up. And we spent... um, I saw him Thursday night at 7 o'clock and I was on the road by Friday morning at 9 a.m., 14 hours. But it was a rich time. It was a cathartic time because both of these uh, men, they love me and uh, they know me and they, uh, uh, their care is unconditional and they challenge me. They, they challenge me. And they won't let me get away with things. Um, and these are these are two. Just these are just two. And 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 can I just tell you this? Uh, this is my opinion. Um, I believe that. I believe that you need people like these in your life. And and if you are married, I believe you need someone in addition to your spouse. Okay. I really do. Because you see, I mean, 
when Sarah presents to me the brutal facts of my current reality, I, you know, <laughs> see the shields go up, right? The shields go up. You know, I, I, I just I'm, I'm I just don't want to hear it. Why? Because I'm corrupt. I've already told you that. Um, I need a new heart. All right. These uh, Canon Masud will not let me get away with that. All right. And so I think you need if you're if you're married you need you need someone in addition to your spouse. And so that's my it's, it's my opinion on that. And then my my other opinion on this is that you need someone of the same sex. Okay. You need someone of the same sex. say why well you know why because it's intimate that's why when you're being vulnerable okay and uh satan can satan can even use something that god intends for good to twist it i mean that's his business so he would take that so james 5 16 says therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. I've got these, these godly brothers in my life who love me and want to pray for me so that I'll be healed. Healed by whom? Healed by Jesus. You see, confession is what cleanses the heart. But it doesn't mean that we do the cleaning. That this is not a self-service laundromat we're talking about here. Confession means that I come to God, I agree with Him, and God is the one who owns the cleaners, and I humbly give Him my dirty clothes. And He wants that. He wants that. And He does not shame me for that. He just, you know, He realized that if I try to do the cleaning myself, it doesn't really ever get clean. It's like, the, it's like my dry cleaner here in town. I take my dry cleaners, I, I drop my clothes off to, to Bobby. And you know what? In all the years that I've gone to Bobby to bring him my dirty clothes, he never screams at me when I give him my dirty clothes. He never does that. He never tries to shame me at all. He, he, he never does that at all. He never makes fun of me. He never says, you have blueberry on your shirt again? What are you doing? What, you missed your mouth? How is that possible? He never does that, ever. Oh, the only thing he asks is, is, don't try to clean this yourself. You, just, you won't get clean. I'll, I'll take care of it. I can do this. I can do this. And then, and then one time, Sarah and I got to go over to his house and be with his family for dinner. And that was cool. Because, you know, because I gave him my dirty clothes and then he cleaned my clothes and then I put those clothes on, those very clothes that he cleaned, and then I got to go over to his house for dinner. And I sat at his table in the clothes that he cleaned. And it was great. And that's the gospel, isn't it? I go to God, and he takes my dirty clothes, clothes that are stained with both my vices and my virtues, and he takes them, but this, the, the, he's even better because he does not give me back my dirty clothes. Instead, he gives me the clothes of Christ. He gives me Jesus' robe of righteousness, Clothes that have never been dirty, ever. Clothes that are clean and pure and unstained. And he says, here, you put these on. And now, now you come to my table. See, You come to my table. 
I want, but you have to wear Jesus' robe if you're going to come to my table. Will you? You must come. And so I come to his table, clean, pure, wearing the robe of Christ. And when I come to the table, that's when I see him face to face. And when you see God face to face, you have God. To see God is to have God, cleansed and purified by his son. In church, there's nothing like clean. Nothing. Nothing like clean. And there's nothing like seeing God. Because that's what we were made for. I'll tell you this much. Jesus says later on in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, you know, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. See? And where, and where your heart is, that's what, that's what gets treasured most. Here's the deal. You want to know what you're worth? I'll tell you what you're worth. Here it is. You are worth whatever the object of your heart is worth. Okay? That's what you're worth. So what are you worth? What's the object of your heart? What's the supreme focus of your heart? That's what you're worth. And blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are so totally focused on God. They want God more than life itself. Well then, see, they will, they will receive what God has to offer. The robe of righteousness. And they'll be welcomed at the table. And I know that this is what we want. I know that. You go back to Frank Warren's website. And you're going to see some other postcards like this one. I miss feeling close to God. I wonder if anybody in here sent that one. I wonder if somebody else sent this one. No matter how far wrong you've gone, you can always turn around. Do you know that? That's what this says. No matter how far wrong you've gone, you can always turn around. And here's why. Here's why. Here's why. It's the last one. It's the last, it's the last um, postcard that... Uh, it's not on Frank's website, but it's right in here. Here it is. There's more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your past. This is what we have to celebrate. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Thank you so much. Thank you so much that the, the reservoir of your grace is deeper and wider than the sin in our heart. Thank you, Jesus. And we want to see you because to see you is to have life. And now as we're preparing to meet around your table, we are reminded that we are clean because of the robe of righteousness that Jesus has given to us so that we can enjoy table fellowship with the King. Thank you. Amen.